Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Hello there again, DT crew. Welcome back to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Uh, for you, it's been uh, a week. For me, it's been about 45 seconds since I recorded the introduction to last week's episode. Uh, last week's episode was episode 37 of season 2 and episode 64 overall. This will be episode 38 of season 2 of the podcast and episode 65 overall. As I said last week, I am currently on a vacation, uh, but I've pre-recorded this episode to get it out to you. We will be uh, reading chapter uh, 39, the second half of chapter 39 of Declaimer's Discovery last week. Uh, we heard uh, Duke Farston's introductory comments to the beginning of the Triumvirate Congress, uh, and now Deliritus has been asked to step up and give his uh, remarks as representative of erstwhile, and we're going to see what uh, he decides to say. Is he going to go along with his father and uh, uh, oppose Farston, or uh, side with Farston here because Farston knows his secret? Um, so we'll get to that reading here in just a minute. Uh, also, as I reminded everyone last week, we will uh, be reading uh, Patricia McKillop's Riddle Master. Uh, together here uh, in a few weeks. Uh, book one of that is called The Riddle Master of Head. So we're just reading book one. Riddle Master is the entire trilogy. Um, obviously, I won't be narrating that entire book, but we will uh, be having a discussion session about it on July 10th, kind of like a traditional book club where you read a book on your own and then you get together uh, and discuss your thoughts about it with one another. <clears throat> Uh, so again, that's going to be happening on the episode that drops on Monday, July 10th. So if you are interested uh, in participating in that, um, make sure you uh, get the book read uh, before July 10th and have your questions in to me. I guess uh, I'll probably be recording it on July 9th. So I guess get your questions into me before July 8th if you would like me to include them in the podcast episode. But okay, uh, that is uh, all. So without further ado, here is uh, part two of chapter 39 of Declaimer's Discovery. Dell swallowed back a fresh wellspring of bile and gripped at the podium's sides when he reached it. The wood was smooth under his palms, eroded by a thousand sweaty, nervous hands before him. How many of those men had been in such streets as he? The podium was angled so that he could look out onto the main body of the crowd while also taking in the other representatives. He stared out over the mass of gathered bodies. A few seemed curious or even eager to hear what he had to say. The great majority, though, seemed either indifferent or outright hostile 
Who was this youth from the distant, dreary city of erstwhile to speak to them of the justness of their nation's institutions? Thank you, Duke Chairman, and may it please this assembly, Dell began, using the traditional style of a politician addressing a body of peers. His years of education under the miserable eye of his uncle hadn't been a complete waste, after all. Duke Leomina spoke true, of course. Actus Torchsire was a visionary. He saw what happened to a society where those bound to the words of the Trinity were also permitted the privilege to read them. Fire. Death. Destruction. The burning left our society ravaged, and my honored forebear saw that the only way to prevent history from repeating itself was to divide power such that none could ever wield the gifts of the Trinity in their entirety. And so was born out of the ashes of Tome the great separation of powers, a responsible few who were permitted to learn the great languages of the Trinity, but unbound to the elements and unable to summon their great powers, while those bound to the elements remained able to summon the Trinity's might, but not read its words. A new world emerged, one of mutual dependence, a world where no individual could ever wield the absolute power that led to orations near annihilation. Dell had been speaking mostly to the podium's frontmost edge, anxiety coursing through his veins, but he now chanced an outward glance and found many heads nodding. They'd heard it all before, of course. Dell had read that precise passage from history books a thousand times as he'd grown up. Likely all the assembled readers had. But in familiar words there is comfort, a lack of need for true thought, a heuristic for decision-making. I've heard it before and agreed. Why reconsider now? Dell's gaze left the crowd, passing to the other representatives. Rovery seemed on the verge of nodding off. The fortune conservator was busy tearing the proposal from Galfet Library into confetti, his enigma counterpart looking on with a bemused expression. And Adalexa Stonebinder seemed to be considering whether she could close the distance between herself and Dell before Farston intervened, if he even would attempt to intervene, that was. But despite the homicide in Adalexa's glare, it was the vacant stare of her speaker that caught Dell's attention. The man might be blind, but he had ears. How absurd it was! Here they all were, decrying the murder of Duke Galfet, ripping to shreds a proposal to give speakers a few scraps of decency, and there wasn't a single individual involved with any personal stake in the matter. When this measure failed, none of the representatives, Dell included, would suffer in the least. They'd return to their feathered beds, their silk jackets, their aged wines and cured meats. What is this Congress to a speaker? Once again, Dell hadn't realized he was speaking aloud until the words were already echoing about the stony outcrops of the main neck. He gripped the podium with greater ferocity as the crowd quieted, thousands of eyes on him. Forget Adalexa. He had a dagger to his own throat, ready to cut deep. 
Adele waited for overwhelming panic to set in, the selfish sense of self-preservation that he'd felt ever since his return from the trials. But to his surprise, as the echoes of his words died away, he realized it was no longer there. If he spoke against Farston, the Duke was sure to reveal him for the fraud that he was, and yet... For the first time in months, Dell did not feel afraid. "'What is this Congress to a speaker?' he repeated. "'I must say, for a proceeding meant to address the rights of such a large portion of our society, we've selected precious few of them to address this assembly today.' Those seated in the crowd began to exchange confused looks— there was motion at the corner of Dell's vision in the direction of the representatives. He suspected it was Farston rising, but kept his eyes fixed on the crowd. We speak of the great system Actus Torchsire implemented. I have spoken of it, lived my whole life assuming its virtue. And why not? I have prospered greatly from it, as have many of you. We call the separation of powers an avatar of, if not good, at least salvation from past disasters. But have we not saved ourselves from a ruinous past, only to find ourselves in a fractured present? Few have the audacity to call our system fair, but often we bandy about the term necessary. But necessary for who? For every reader in oration there are ten Twenty speakers and a hundred illits. There is a reason, I think. Houses are not built upon foundations of glass. Glass appears strong, but only at a distance. Actually test it? Well, I'm not certain. I never have. No one has since the burning. Perhaps it is as strong as it looks. But perhaps instead... The crowd was jeering at him, loud enough that Dell could no longer hear his own words. He raised his voice, caught in the ecstasy of freedom flowing through his limbs. Perhaps, just perhaps, some of the discontent felt by those Galfet speakers was warranted. A just anger. An object flew from the crowd, and Dell had to duck to avoid being struck. The rotten fruit splattered upon the dais behind him, moldy seeds and black juices splashing over Farston's boots, staining the space between the podium and representatives in foul-smelling scarlet. The Leomina Duke was standing just a few paces away from Dell. If the putrid mess that had just exploded in front of him caused him any consternation, he wasn't showing it. He was looking past the crowd, up toward the stairs down which Dell had descended into the main neck, waving a hand at. A clamor from atop the steps drew Dell's attention, along with much of the crowds, though many were still too busy shouting curses in his direction to notice. Four well-armored guards of the indomitable army were making their way down the steps. Dark emeralds were set into the smoky steel of their pauldrons and greaves, and each wore a helmet with visor dropped, so only a thin slit remained for their eyes. At the center of the soldiers was a ragged young man. He was maybe a year or two younger than Dell, and in quite a sorry state. As the guards drew closer, 
occasionally leading, but mostly dragging the prisoner down the main neck's steep steps, Dell saw just how bad off the convict was. The skin about his neck was red and blistered, as if he'd been badly burned. Dell shuddered at that, as he recalled what it felt like to have his body engulfed in flames. A gash above one of the prisoner's brows was caked in dried blood, and the eye beneath it swollen shut and ringed in black. His head was shaven and covered in gashes. A destroyer's brand stood out from amongst the wreckage of his face. He was clothed in what might once have been speaker's black, though the garments were so torn and shredded they could hardly be called anything but rags. From beneath the remnants of the prisoner's shirt, Dell could just make out a white necklace, a stark contrast against the blood and grime that covered the rest of his body. Odd. The necklace seemed to be made out of... Bastion? Oh, thank the scribes, you're... Fool, Dell cursed at himself. Get a hold of your tongue for once. Despite his deplorable condition, Bastion somehow managed to grin at Dell. He was missing one of his front teeth. They took your hat too, I see. Dell tried to ignore Bastion's insouciance, but something brought him pause. A look in Bastion's eyes. Ordinarily, those eyes held a glimmer of sarcasm and distrust. But now, despite the cavalier tone in the speaker's words, Bastion's expression suggested something entirely different. Dell couldn't put a name to it, but it reminded him of the look he'd seen on the face of more than one reader who'd left for the trials a praised darling, only to return a failure. Finally, he turned to Farston. What is the meaning of this? My speaker was lost during our journey from erstwhile. How is he here now? Farston frowned at Dell, though somehow the expression seemed as if someone had come up to Farston and moved his lips into the position, so unnatural it appeared on his ordinarily implacable face. His eyes, though, showed with a light that turned Dell's stomach. Perhaps you can explain that to me, Marquis Torchsire. I'd hoped not to do this so publicly, but given your, well... The frown left Farston's face, his lips instead coming dangerously close to a smile. The smile of a hungry predator. The oratory you just gave... You left me little choice. This speaker, your speaker, was the one my household guard apprehended attempting to rob my personal study. The boy even seriously injured one of my best men in the process. What? Dell turned from Farston back to Bastion. His grin had faded to a sheepish grimace, which, through the blood and bruises, gave Dell the chills not necessarily because of the appearance, but because of what it implied. If Farston had been lying, even just a little, Bastion would hardly be keeping quiet about it. This isn't exactly how I pictured you being informed of what I've been up to, Bastion said with a shrug. A shrug? The impudent little! Dell had never struck Bastion before, but now he found himself regretting each and every time he'd restrained himself from doing so. That can't be possible, 
Estelle said, turning once more to Farston. His voice broke, just as the young Galfets had. You said the incident happened days ago. How could Bastion have gotten here that much faster than us? Indeed, Farston said. I find it rather perplexing as well. And despite some of the conservatory's most persuasive methods, I have been unable to extract the answer from your speaker. Perhaps you would care to explain? Me? Dell's voice broke once more, hurting even his own ears. His underarms were damp, his tunic sticking to them as he stared disbelievingly at Farston, waiting for him to reveal this for the terrible joke it had to be. When the man didn't, Dell wheeled on Bastion. How could you do this? And after I just spoke in favor of the likes of you. I guess you really are right to treat me like an idiot. I must be one for thinking your kind had any redeemable qualities worth dignifying. Oh, come on, Deliritus, Bastion muttered. What little confidence he managed to muster upon first being dragged before Dell was gone now. He hung his head, avoiding Dell's eyes. Come on! Do you have any idea what you've done? Bastion flinched back, as if anticipating the blows Dell now so desperately wished to rain down upon the speaker. Given your refusal to cooperate, Farston said, and your display before this assembly just now, I can come to but one conclusion. You, Farston jabbed a finger at Dell's chest, are a warrior sympathizer, no better than those who murdered the Duke Galfet. Dell's mouth worked soundlessly. A sympathizer? With the rebels? That was preposterous. He had no real desire for speakers to be treated better. Maybe hit them a bit less and give them a breather now and again, but he wasn't even a prog, much less a... It didn't matter. He'd fallen right into Farston's trap. The man couldn't have known Dell would so blatantly speak words of support for the progressive cause, but clearly the Liamina Duke had been planning this reveal of Bastion regardless. Bastion must have been positioned just out of sight up the stairs since the Congress had started. A gauntleted hand grabbed Dell around the bicep, another grabbing his remaining arm a moment later. Marquis Deliritus Torchsire, Farston said, I place you under arrest for sedition and conspiracy. Failing your production of evidence proving an affirmative defense in your favor, you shall be broken upon the wheel until dead. The last thing Dell remembered before waking in a prison cell was the ominous tolling of that giant clock built into Fortune's conservatory. Dell welcomed the darkness that consumed him as he fainted. Thanks for listening to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. 
D.T. Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find D.T. Kane on Facebook at D.T. Kane Author or Twitter at D.T. Kane Author, or send D.T. Kane an email at dtkane at dtkane.com. See you next week.